0: This is the My Bloody Hell podcast, the podcast where we share stories about perimenopause. Hello, superwomen. Welcome to episode number seven of the My Bloody Hell podcast. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm a journalist, an educator, a mother of three, a recent expat to the South of Spain, and a car-carrying member of Team Perimenopause. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you're returning after listening to last week's episode or some of our other episodes, thank you so much for coming back. I'm glad all of you are here, and I hope everyone listening walks away from this show feeling a little bit more informed and a little bit more inspired about their menopause journey. On today's episode, I'm going to tell you a true story that may scare you. It's a story gleaned from history about witches, witchcraft, and menopause. I thought this was the perfect time to share this horrific history lesson because we're just a few days away from celebrating Halloween in many countries, but also because there really is a creepy connection between witches and menopause, a connection that goes all the way back to the 15th century, but has massive repercussions for all of us women still today. In my story, I'm going to explain exactly how and why a menopausal woman became the poster child for a witch and why we're still fighting those stereotypes today. But before we get started with our story, I have to take a moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Today's episode is sponsored by the My Bloody Hell membership community, which is now officially open for business. Now, I bet you think I'm going to tell you why you should join this community, but I'm not. Instead, I'm going to ask, why wouldn't you join this inclusive group of women who are at the same stage of life as you are? Why wouldn't you want to be part of a community where once a month you could spend time with a group of women and talk about your greatest challenges with perimenopause? Why wouldn't you want to be in a group where once a month you'd have a chance to speak with a doctor, a nutritionist, an acupuncturist, or some other wellness expert who actually specializes in working with perimenopausal women rather than joining yet another Facebook group and hoping, just hoping that somebody just as clueless as you are might be able to answer your complex questions. Why wouldn't you want to be in a community where you would have access to creative workshops and activities that you didn't have to pay extra money for or commit to for weeks and months at a time, especially if all of this goodness only costs $10 a month? I don't know why you wouldn't join. You tell me. (laughs) If you want to know more about the My Bloody Hell community, check us out at mybloodyhell.com backslash membership. That's mybloodyhell.com backslash membership. Quick question before we get on to our story. Are you going to have a Halloween party this year? Have you thought about what kind of snacks you'll serve your guests who drop by for the holidays? Because you know the holidays are just around the corner. Are you already thinking about what kind of unique gifts you want to give to your friends and family this year? Well, you could solve all of your holiday snack needs and gift ideas with a subscription box from Yum Day. Yum Day is an online snack emporium that prioritizes food and beverage brands led by women and people of color. We think that is very cool. You can order one of Yumday's monthly subscription snack boxes where they will curate a box full of unique, delicious and healthy snacks from all over the world and deliver them right to your door or to the door of whoever you're sending them to as a gift. I think anybody who received a gift like that is going to be impressed. So, make your holidays a little bit more delicious and easier on yourself by shopping at Yumday. And if you use our promo code mbhpod15 when you shop, that's mbh, as in my bloody hell, pod 15, you get 15% off when you shop at yumday.co. That's yumday.co. And now... It's time to go back in history to uncover the reasons why witches, witchcraft, and menopause are tragically linked together. The Prologue History shows us that the majority of people accused during the witch-hunting frenzies that spread across early modern Europe and her colonies that's roughly the 15th century to the late 18th century were women over 50. Although there's no way to know for sure exactly how old the women who were accused of being witches were, it is clear that women aged 50 and above were overrepresented amongst the accused. For example... Out of the 16 falsely accused women of the Salem witch torture trials in Massachusetts, at least 13 of the 16 were past their childbearing years. In other words, they were postmenopausal women. So it's clear that for some reason, witches had become synonymous with women of a certain age. The purpose of our story today is to find out why. Chapter 1. Why? Women. Why were women targeted all across Western Europe when it came to witch hunts? Because the fact of the matter is, there was a time when witches could be men or women. A witch was simply a person who cavorted with the devil and evil spirits and practiced witchcraft and sorcery. That witch could have been male or female. So why did things change? Apparently, in 1486, things changed, and it's all because of a book that was written that sealed the fate of women as it relates to the witch trials and witch hysteria. The book, written by two Dominican witch hunters, was called Malleus Maleficarum, which translates to hammer against witches. And this book became the witch hunter's Bible, adopted by the masses. Well those masses who could actually read and who were actually hunting witches. But anyway, this witch hunters Bible put it in print, which made it official that most witches were women and it defined witchcraft as female rebellion. So that means that the very nature of witchcraft was predicated on the gender of the witch and that gender was female. So just like slavery became a race-based institution in the British colonies, a.k.a. the United States of America, witchcraft became a gender-based classification. Now, how did the authors of this Witch Hunters Bible justify throwing women under the bus this way? How did they convince the masses that women were, in fact, more likely to be witches. Well, they just used the beliefs of the day to prove that women were in fact more likely to be cavorting with the devil. And those commonly held beliefs were that, one, women were simply inferior beings, inferior to men. Two, the Bible said that women were evil and they could lead good men astray just like that original sinner herself, Eve. And three, women were sexually insatiable beings, and mortal men could not satisfy them. So that means they were more susceptible to seduction by the devil. So by 1486, then, once this book was written, once it was codified in print, the word witch, essentially became synonymous with women. And just FYI, in case you wanted to know, men who continued to practice magic became warlocks or sorcerers. But anyway, we're talking about women right now. And for the case of this story, witchcraft was female rebellion and women were inherently weak, inherently evil, and potentially likely to be having sex with the devil. So, we've now established the fact that women were more likely to be witches. Chapter 2 What's wrong with older women? From chapter 1, we know that women were more likely to be witches. But how do we get to that point where it was older women, women over 50, who were more likely to be targeted? Let's be clear. The misogyny that raged across Europe in the 15th to 18th centuries was at epic levels. So whether a woman was accused of being a witch or not, she was not held in high regard, period. Sadly, older women were held in even less regard. So back in the day, given the fact that women were already thought of as second or third class citizens, they already had very few rights in society a woman's largest contribution or purpose in society was to bear and raise children. So it only stands to pass that once a woman could no longer bear children, she was deemed to be pretty much useless. She was useless to her family and useless to her community. Even worse is a older woman who had no family or an older woman who was single. Older women who did not have a spouse most often did not have a source of income because a woman really couldn't go out and find a job, of course. Therefore, she's older, she is not able to contribute to society in the way a woman should, and so she is a burden on society. Older women who did not have a spouse but were financially independent were also suspected of foul play. Because remember, women were too stupid and weak to have a way to support themselves without a man. So, rich or poor, older, single women were automatically seen as peculiar, unprotected, and suspect. And that doesn't bode well for anyone. Chapter 3 Menopause and the Myth. Of the witch. So older women in early modern society are suspect, especially if they're single. If they're not birthing babies anymore and they're not contributing to society in any way, and they have become a burden on society, society has to figure out what has to be done with an older woman. Even if an older woman was married, there is still not a lot of respect given to older women. Even her physical characteristics were considered suspect. Elderly women were considered ugly, and being ugly was considered evil. You know where this is going, right? An older woman already has a burden thrust upon her just by virtue of the fact of her age. If she's single, it's even worse. So how does menopause fit into all of this? And how does witchcraft fit into all of this? Here we go. In order to bolster their arguments that a woman could be a witch, we had to go beyond the fact that she was simply female. Being female didn't make her automatically a witch. Being older made her more suspect. Older and single, even more suspect. But there still had to be more proof. There still needed to be some unexplained behaviors that a witch hunter could point to that would say that a woman was a witch, that a woman was cavorting with the devil. There had to be something. And what was that something? Funny enough, the characteristics that proved a woman was a witch kind of reads like menopause symptoms 101. Number 1. Hostility, irritability, and crazy acting behavior was one of the ways that a woman was considered to be possibly a witch. So, if a woman's behavior was interpreted as antisocial or hostile, or maybe she was a woman might be seen talking to herself, or maybe a woman was seen scolding someone or yelling at somebody, then those were all signs that the devil or evil demons or spirits had gotten inside of her body and possessed her and was making her act this way. Hostility, irritability, being angry and speaking out of turn, does that not sound like your average perimenopausal experience? But of course, science hadn't caught up to the times and these women who were behaving this way were thought of as being demonic or possessed. So any behavior like that was suspect. And just so you know, A woman at this time wasn't even allowed to scold someone, you know, to reprimand somebody for their behavior. There were actual scolding laws. So if you imagine what hostility or irritability would mean at this time, just a woman losing her temper would be considered demonic. So that's the first thing. Second characteristic of what a woman might be doing that would have her get accused of being a witch, was the loss of fertility. Witches at this time were often portrayed in paintings having shriveled breasts and shrunken wombs to signify that they were no longer fertile. A fertile female body was the ideal female body, but it went beyond beauty the idea that a woman was no longer fertile, the idea that she was no longer having her period meant that the menstrual blood was no longer cleansing the woman of poisons and toxins that it was assumed were accumulating in her body anyway. So a menopausal or postmenopausal woman, instead of being relieved of the poisons and toxins, those poisons and toxins were growing in her body. And then she could use those poisons and toxins to harm younger women, like put a spell on their fertility, if you will. So an older menopausal woman wasn't just useless in that she could no longer have babies, but apparently her now poisonous and toxic body could be used to put spells on younger women. And the fact of the matter is at this time, a lot of time, single older women were employed as lying in maids or nursemaids. They weren't nursing babies, but they were laying beside women, helping women with new babies take care of them. So if anything happened to the mother or the baby, it was the older woman who would be accused of causing the problem. So if the mother's milk dried up, or if the baby took sick, or if the baby died, it would be the older woman's fault she would be accused of casting some evil spell on her using her poisonous, toxic womb and shriveled up breasts to do so. Number three, a menopausal woman was supposed to stop enjoying any type of sexual activity. Why? Because once she was no longer fertile, why would she be having sex? So, any woman of a certain age who was still having, or it was proven that she was having some kind of sexual activity, signified that she must be having sexual activities with the devil. So a sexually active older woman was automatically suspect, and that was all it took to accuse her of being a witch. Number four, the physical effects of menopause on a woman's body made people think that that was a sign of witchcraft or being a witch. Thinning hair, hair growing out of the chin, weak bones that led to poor posture, Gray hair, all of these things that today we probably wouldn't even think twice about of how a witch is portrayed in popular culture were really the signs of menopause on a woman's body. But those were the things that back in the day were then turned to be signs of being a witch. And speaking of signs of being a witch and these thinning hair, gray hair, weaker bones, all of that went back to this idea of uh, older woman being ugly and ugliness was equated with evilness. And that was then interpreted to be a characteristic of older women, which would be jealousy. So older women were suspected of being jealous of younger women for their beauty. And this jealousy would drive them to cast an evil eye on younger women because they were so jealous. Therefore, if an older woman supposedly put the evil eye on a younger woman, once again, she might make that younger woman barren or make make the younger woman who might be pregnant at the time lose her baby, or she might kill the baby of the younger woman. So this idea that older women were ugly and therefore jealous and therefore capable of putting spells on younger women was another one of the ways that people could accuse a older woman of being a witch. If you think about the story of Snow White, where the evil stepmother is obsessed with finding out if she's still prettier than her young daughter, she says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And when the mirror says it is Snow White, she flies into a jealous rage. This story of Snow White was written far past the 1400s, which just signifies this idea that witches are consumed with jealousy, that they hate growing old, they hate what they look like, and they'll do anything, anything, even casting spells and killing the young if they can stay beautiful. Chapter 4, Witches in Present Day. Thankfully, we are well past those times when women could simply be accused of being a witch because she was exhibiting signs of perimenopause, either physically or mentally. But are we? Actually, it's complicated. Women, especially older women, are still being accused and punished for being witches today usually when there are unexplained deaths or natural disasters or there is some threat or challenge to the natural order of society. There are documented examples of women being persecuted, banished, and even killed all over the world for being witches today. The problem is so widespread, in fact, that there is actually a day in August, August 10th to be exact, known as World Day Against Witch Hunts. But unlike the witch hunts of the past, Today's witches aren't just older women. They could be younger women, men, or even children. But when it comes to the lingering effects of the witch hunts of the past in Western Europe and her colonies, we are still being judged in the same way as we approach middle age. We are still considered ugly. We are still considered inappropriate if we speak up or speak out or allow our anger to show in public. We are still fighting against a society that wants to pit older women against younger women. We're still being told that we are useless once we are no longer fertile. We are still made to feel ashamed about our bodies, and yet if we own our sexuality at this age, we're abnormal. And probably worst of all, we are still suffering without solutions to our perimenopausal symptoms because ultimately we're still afraid of admitting that we're going through the aging process. I mean there is still the specter of persecution, isn't there? You know the saying, the squeaky wheel gets fixed? Well, we're too scared to squeak. And for good reason, and that we know that being menopausal or paramenopausal will probably be used against us in some way, just like it was 500 years ago. The epilogue. You know what I think? I think it's time that all of us paramenopausal women started practicing witchcraft. That is witchcraft in the way that it was defined in 1486. Remember that definition? Witchcraft was defined as female rebellion. Collectively, we need to practice rebelling against these antiquated norms of what a menopausal woman should be. We don't need to hide from the witch hunters. We don't need to hide our rage, our pain, or our brilliance. The more we hide... The less we can expect for things to change. So, who's with me? Who wants to get witchy? Thank you for listening to today's scary story. I hope you got something out of this history lesson. I hope it made you think and realize that our reticence in talking about menopause isn't arbitrary. Given the long history of prosecuting and ostracizing women of a certain age, it makes sense that we want to dye our hair, grin and bear it through our hot flashes, and wear high heels even though we really crave a comfy pair of sneakers. But the more we learn about history and how the man tried to make women the scapegoats for all the bad things happening in society... Hopefully, we will feel empowered to push back against those limiting beliefs about what we can do in our third stage of life. What did you get out of today's story? I'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions. Please feel free to leave a comment on the My Bloody Hell Facebook page or on our Instagram feed or on the My Bloody Hell blog at mybloodyhell.com blog. Thank you so much for supporting this passion project of a podcast. If everybody listening today could do me one small favor, I would so very much appreciate it. And all that favor is, is to tell one friend about this show. That's it. One friend. If everybody did just that, we would double our listenership just like that. You don't have to tweet it or put it on the book of faces. Although if you want to, I'm okay with that. All I want you to do is just tell one friend who you think might need to hear some of these stories. Thank you. Next week, we're going to have another guest who will be here to share her inspiring perimenopause story. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss that episode or any of our future episodes. Okay, that's all I have to share this week, Superwomen. I will be here next Wednesday, and I hope you will too. Until then... Be good to yourselves. Get some snacks from Yum Day and maybe take a walk. Oh, and eat some Halloween candy for me. All right. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next week. The My Bloody Hell podcast is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor and technical director is Brad Linder. Our theme music was composed by Good B Music. And the additional spooky music was produced by Ipsy Duck. And hey, one last thing. I am not a doctor nor any type of medical professional. Therefore, do not use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for verifiable medical advice and information. Always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have any medical questions or concerns regarding menopause or any other health-related issue. Thank you.